welcome back to podcast number eight of Alpha Mom Radio. And I have a special guest with me today. She is a good friend of mine, Laura Howe. She is an RN and she lives here in Reno with me. I get to see her all the time. And I have the pleasure of interviewing her today for the very first time. Laura, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Well, thanks for having me, Katanya. It's great to be here. I'm super excited. So, Laura, tell us a little bit about your background. Well, you know, it started a long time ago. Um, I went to um, nursing school to help people. Um, I I kind of was always the person that wanted to help out when people weren't feeling good and just always very fascinated with how the body works and what makes it work and not work. And it was a perfect fit and loved being a nurse. Got to see a lot in the hospitals. Um, I worked mostly with children and babies and um, pregnant moms. And then I did a little bit of work in some different clinics and most recently um, as a school nurse. And absolutely loved what I did. And now I'm um, hopefully having an opportunity to turn my passion for kind of living a healthy lifestyle into a career um, in healthcare and not maybe sickness focused. I love it. So when, when did you get into a more maybe alternative whole foods type of view on health? You know, it's, it's been evolving. I can't tell you an exact date or instance. Um, <clears throat> I would have to say, when the paleo movement kind of came out, it caught my attention. Some of my close friends brought it to my attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I didn't take to it too quickly. It was against everything I'd ever been trained or um, taught. And it really just kind of shook things up for me. It just made me think that maybe there is some new information out there that I should take a look at um, and I've been very surprised at what's available for people to know now as far as taking the health into their own hands and being a responsible advocate for themselves and not just relying on the media or what they've always been told. Right. So you came from sort of a different uh, way of, I would say, eating for sure, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, Definitely. Okay, so you kind of stumbled upon the paleo movement, which is, you know, for those people who don't really know what that means and they think it's kind of a fad, it's, uh, we consider it a real food diet, a real food way of eating and eating the way that humans have eaten for 50 to 100,000 years, the way the human body was meant to eat. And that, like you said, there's a lot of information out there that people can really make changes for themselves and they don't have to just rely on what one line of thinking tells them or what maybe what their doctor tells them or what, like you said, the media tells them, but um, finding a way of eating that works best for them. Would you agree? Absolutely. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so what else got you, um, you started looking into this uh, Whole Foods way of eating, and what are some of the things that got you, that really clinched it for you, that really kind of showed you maybe this was a better way, or is there anything more personal to you? What kind of pulled you down that road? Um, well, I think that the first, the first thing that helped me, um, that caught my attention was the fact that I felt better when I ate in a paleo-ish 
way. Um, when I ate just real foods, when I didn't eat the packaged high carb meals that are out there, um, I felt like I had more energy. I felt like, um, I was more alert, um, just more on just, just better. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I guess the thing that really made me stop and think was, um, seeing how it could affect some people in my, in my own family, um, and seeing how, how when you take certain things like gluten out of your diet, how it can actually have an impact on your health, not just, just a diet choice. Right. And so what kinds of things did you see? Um, well, there, I do have some people in my family that have had histories of really ongoing um, abdominal pain and migraines and skin issues um, that when you take away gluten, it actually impacts them as far as eliminating or dramatically decreasing the incidence of those problems. Okay. So I, I kept telling myself that it wasn't real, that it didn't really um, seem to make a difference. And um, it, it, it kind of showed itself over and over every time you bring back into um, the gluten into your diet, you see the effects of it. Um, so it's hard to argue with, with um, what happens in your own life. You can read books and learn about things, but when you see it happen in real life, it's definitely um, powerful. Right. So you saw fairly quickly the decrease in feeling the migraines and stomach aches and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Right. But it took you several trials and errors to realize that that really was what it was. Is that correct? Yeah, because I just didn't really, um, I guess I just didn't believe in the power of food as medicine. Um, and I, I'm converted. I believe it now. Right. For sure. Talk, yeah. talk a little bit about possibly one of the reasons why it was harder for you to figure out that it was gluten is sort of that delayed response that a lot of times foods can have. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. It's not um, the effects from people eating gluten are not necessarily, um, well, they could be an allergy, which would be something like when, when a person um, has an allergic reaction and they get hives or they get... Um, very sick immediately, that would be more of an allergic reaction. Um, they can have um, something that's called celiac disease, and they can have gluten um, sensitivity, non-celiac non gluten sensitivity, which they all take take days to, I, I, I'm not exactly sure on the outside, but there is a delayed response that it's just a different type of reaction in the body. Mm -hmm. What gluten does is it, it affects the um, kind of, damages your intestines actually and allows different things to so kind of seep through your intestine that shouldn't and it confuses the body and the body reacts out of alignment with the way it normally should um so it's a real basic way of explaining it but it's fascinating how how gluten can affect you so it affects the lining of the stomach and can seep in and then get into the bloodstream. And that's where it causes all these other issues, correct? Yes. 
So mm-hmm. we see things like skin issues, maybe neurological issues, migraines, stuff that's outside of what we think of as just the stomach. So you don't only have to have gastrointestinal problems like diarrhea or cramping or pain or any of that. You can certainly see all sorts of stuff outside. Um, like I said, the neurological, autoimmune issues, skin issues. And like you mentioned earlier, you also have noticed some skin issues in your family member as well. You know, there's a lot of different reasons for if if you have skin issues. It's it's a reflection on that mm-hmm. on the outside of what's going on on the inside of your body, um, inflammation, right. and um, what we actually see is not necessarily um, something directly related to gluten, um, as, like you would see in an allergy. But it's kind of a roundabout way. Gluten damages your intestines, and then your intestines can't absorb nutrients like vitamin A, D, E, K. Um, and those types of things are um, play a part in the health of your skin. Mm-hmm. So if you're not able to absorb the, the nutrients, you could be eating the most healthy diet and not be able to absorb the things that your body needs. And then you'll see things like keratosis pilaris, which is kind of goosebumps on, the, on your skin. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's kind of a roundabout way, but yes, we did see some different changes that definitely get worse when we have gluten in our diet. Right. Okay. So there is sort of that direct response to gluten that possibly people can have the stomach aches. There's the more indirect reactions that are caused by inflammation throughout the body. And then like you're saying, as an effect of the stomach lining being damaged, further downstream effects of not getting and absorbing all the nutrients we need and that we are actually eating, but the body's not absorbing them because our intestines are damaged. So it's kind of a threefold. Yeah. And you know, I recently read, uh, heard of a study that was um, out of Chicago that 50% of people that were um, um, surveyed that tested positive for celiac Mm -hmm. actually had no gut symptoms. Wow. No gastrointestinal symptoms. So it just just because you're not necessarily having the constipation diarrhea doesn't mean that you're you're not having a problem with the gluten. Absolutely. That it can affect. Wow, you said fifty percent. Yes. And that is people mm-hmm. who tested positive uh-huh. for celiac disease, correct? Uh huh. Wow. Yeah. So let's tell me a little bit about the difference between celiac disease and. Um, gluten sensitivity or non-celiac gluten sensitivity, um, is there similar damage going on in the intestine? If someone wanted to test for celiac disease, but they were tested negative, and yet you still might say, well, let's just go ahead and try to eliminate gluten from the diet and see what happens. There's kind of that spectrum there. Can you talk a little bit about that? So first of all, it's it's important to keep in mind that you you can rule in celiac meaning that you can test and get a positive result and find out that you do have celiac, but you can't rule it out. Um, that the test results, they're so frequently testing negative, that's um, an inaccurate test results um, or unreliable test as a test that's negative that you can't for sure um, rule it out. So it's important to keep it in mind. Um, so if you test positive, then you know that you're definitely gluten um, gluten-free for the rest of your life as a celiac. And what they do is they first do a blood test. And if that came, comes back positive, then they'll frequently do a um, biopsy of the small intestine right. to confirm yeah. it. And they actually can grade the amount of damage that they see there. Mm-hmm. 
So going on to if you have a false, so you're, what you're saying is basically it can be a false negative. Someone that your doctor can say, nope, you've tested negative for celiac disease. You're totally fine. You can go eat all the gluten you want. Is that correct? Well, that's correct. Yes, that they do say that and that it's not necessarily so that <clears throat> a lot of people test negative and event and then down the road can test positive later. Mm-hmm. And during that time, they can still be having damage to their um, inside of their body, which can lead to some pretty serious autoimmune, autoimmune problems, um, autoimmune diseases that can show up and you can't turn back. So if you have symptoms and if you have a history, if you have a family history, you know, it's kind of, there's so many different things that can happen from eating gluten that it's. It's worth considering a gluten-free diet just to help you um, prevent the problems. Right. So if you let's talk a little bit about all of those symptoms because then we can go into what we call um, non-celiac gluten sensitivity, which perhaps that person will never be diagnosed with celiac disease. However, they do definitely have sensitivity and inflammatory reactions to gluten and they fall under similar um, diagnose or symptoms, symptomatology as celiacs, um, but they may never be diagnosed. However, let's tell me about some of the symptoms people might want to look for and consider removing gluten from their diet if they have. Well, there's the, the obvious um, constipation, diarrhea, bloating. There is anxiety and depression, fatigue, irritability. You know, they say that for every one person that has symptoms that affect their gastrointestinal symptom, there's seven um, people with uh, neurological symptoms. Wow. Which is, that's a pretty big statistic. I know. Absolutely. It's, it's not something most people think of. Right. So migraines, maybe even some numbness and tingling in the hands and feet that we think of as neurological might just be a nutrient deficiency caused by maybe intestinal lining uh, damage. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. So migraines, pain, joint pain, all that kind of stuff are are reasons to think. Certainly, skin issues are reasons to avoid gluten. So tell me about. Um, can you tell me the grains that contain gluten? Grains are. Um... Wheat, rye, felt, and sometimes oats, but the oats are only in that category because they, um, they're frequently um, manufactured in the same place. So you can actually get some oats that are gluten-free um, and then also barley. So some of the foods that are commonly containing gluten are um, like bread, cereals, pastas, um, beer, um, desserts, spices, and some, a lot of sauces that you would have with even meat have a thickener in it that's flour, which is usually gluten, mm-hmm. um, kind of everywhere. And basically you need to just pay attention to what you're eating and read labels and eat real food that doesn't have labels. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. So can you substitute, or are there easy ways to find substitutes for gluten in a lot of those prepared foods? There are so many easy substitutes. And the way I look at it is that 
um, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Right now, we live in a time when there's gluten-free everything. There is really, literally, you can find a gluten-free substitute for just about anything that's on the market in the grocery store that, that's gluten. Um, that does not mean it's a good thing to eat. It's um, something maybe you can eat in, um, in a pinch or when you're on the road or if you're at a, a party or a social gathering. But, I mean, there's, there's no gluten. You can easily eat a nice steak or an apple or a salad and have absolutely wonderful food that does not contain gluten. And, you know, every, it is a hard thing to think about to eliminate gluten. Um, and a lot of people, are they actually get, um, in a sense, addicted to the breads, the pastas, and the effect that those foods have on their brain. Right. Um, so it, it's hard. It's hard to get get it get over that first hump. But once you do and you get used to it, there's nothing in those that food group or those foods that your body requires. You can get all the nutrients you need from eating a well balanced real food diet. Absolutely. I totally agree. I wanted to touch back on what you said that um, there are some other effects that wheat and gluten can have, which can be addictive to the brain. So that makes it hard to get rid of, like you say, as well as the fact that it's a yummy, super yummy carbohydrate. So we get a little, yeah. bit, we get a little bit of a sugar rush from it. So do you, you know, I know I work with people a lot too, where I'm trying to get them to get off gluten and possibly even most grains. And I tell them very specifically, don't go out and just buy everything gluten-free. So just like what you were just saying, we don't want people to go and buy crackers and muffins and breads and stuff that maybe they would never even eaten before, but now they're going to buy it just because it says gluten-free, right? Right, because it still has fillers and additives and preservatives and other things that are not good for your body. Some people use it as a transition if you if you really are not sure, and that's that's helpful. You know, baby steps if that's what what needs to be done. Right. But and you know, I mean, there's gluten free pizza and there's gluten free cookies that you can get at the grocery store, and I would say that the gluten-free options that you can make at home are probably a lot healthier because they usually use flours that are like nut flours. You can tolerate nuts and coconut flour and things that are actually good for you. So there's uh, endless amounts of recipes and resources that you can find on the internet on how to cook at home and make gluten-free substitutes um, and just wonderful food. And you wouldn't even, you won't miss it. Yeah, I'd say probably the biggest thing to miss would be bread. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah. So yeah. there's there's some good gluten-free breads out there. But yeah, making bread at home is probably a little harder than some of the others. And I definitely find it's one of those things that people, you know, to replace a sandwich is almost impossible when you tell someone, you know, we're going to cut out gluten. They just can't wrap their brain around not eating a sandwich. So Using those, baby, <laughs> using those baby steps, I think, um, maybe going with a gluten-free be- bread as a baby step to kind of move you away from it. Can you give us a couple of ideas and with sort of with kids in mind, give us some ideas of like lunches and different ways of eating that don't ideally don't even involve bread. If, what are some of the ways that your family tolerates eating uh, by removing, let's say, bread? So I used to I used to get myself really worked up figuring out lunches for school for kids. And what I've decided is that kids are there to socialize and be with their friends. And they they don't get half as worried about what they're eating for lunch as we do as parents. They want to eat something that's it's more like a large snack. 
Um, and you can easily put together a lunch with leftovers from the night before into a thermos, some, some chili with some grass-fed ground beef, some um, leftover spaghetti squash, you know, whatever you had for dinner, heat it up and put it in your thermos and out the door, the kids go and they're fine. The other thing is um, just uh, like a pieces of cheese and salami, a good uh, uncured salami or um, pieces of the chicken breast. And the kids are so happy just to grab it, eat it and be out the door to go play with their friends. They're not as concerned about having an elaborate gourmet meal as I used to think and used to put myself through um, trying to uh, trying to figure out what to send them with. Olives, carrots. Yeah, great you know, way to think about and, it. Yeah, there's endless, there's endless amount of things you don't need a sandwich. Right. That's great. Yeah, just thinking of it as a snack and thinking of a few fruits or vegetables and a little bit of cheese, just some protein and fruit and veggies, and then you're on your way. So that's a great way. Give us one of your favorite recipes, let's say gluten-free, that your boys, your favorite boys' dinner. You know, I think that it's it's mostly just, there's not really one dinner. It's it's the dinners that don't have gluten as a main, as a main part of it that you're trying to replace. You know, it, the, the steak and potatoes with the salad, you know, I mean, it's, it's not anything specific to be gluten-free or anything that's focusing on the gluten part of it. You just kind of leave it out right. <laughs> and cook around it or cook an extra vegetable. So I try not to, to think too much about gluten-free. It's just kind of over the, the years has become just a, it's, it, you know, it's just not even part of our menu plan. Right. Let's talk a little bit about we were you were saying specifically going to some of these gluten-free products that aren't very healthy. They contain kind of a lot of junk um, chemicals as well as lots of high glycemic, you know, potato starch and rice starch and rice flour and stuff like that. But let's talk a little bit more about not just those gluten-free products, but why in general do we not need really to have grains at every single meal, 11 servings a day? Why why has it become such a kind of a staple in the American diet? And let's just brush over, not go too deep, but talk a little bit about why we don't really need them and what we can replace basically all grain products with. I think that it's basically become such an important part of our food options because it's inexpensive and it's fortified. So people are kind of tricked into thinking that they're getting um, a lot of bang for their buck, a lot of nutrients for a low cost, where it's actually not the case. Um, a lot of the, the nutrients that are put in added to processed foods that include gluten and packaged foods, those vitamins and nutrients aren't really bioavailable. So your body isn't going to absorb them. Um, they're, it's a very poor nutritional substitute. I'm not a nutritionist. So I can't tell you like how to to get the exact nutrients mm -hmm. from other foods, but carbohydrate is not required and you can get all the nutrients from just eating good quality, high quality meats that are sustainably raised and vegetables, green leafy vegetables and organ meats, even some whole dairy, yeah. whole milk. Great. Great. So yeah, so these grain products, especially when they're highly processed, are basically filling up our kids' stomachs and not leaving room for a lot of these other foods. And so um, 
just kind of thinking about, you know, not filling their tummies up with goldfish or crackers or bread because you think you're getting some nutrients out of that. And instead, you know, instead you filling that space in their tummy with fruit and veggies and meats and some high quality dairy. Yep. And, I, and along with the lines of the effect on our health is that most of the time those foods just cause a dramatic increase in your blood sugar a spike in your blood sugar that we don't need. Nobody needs that. It's it's so detrimental in so many different ways that that effect on our body is just just something that nobody should have. Right. So even if our kids are are active and slim, they don't need those spikes in their blood sugar either, do they? Correct. Absolutely. No. Nope. And so getting, you know, some of those processed grains out and getting in some, going back, you know, the meats and the cheeses and some veggies is going to get their nutrients in there. They're going to get a lower glycemic spike in their blood sugar, and they're going to get much higher nutrient quality and, um, their tummies are little. So we want to be focusing on, you know, every, pretty much every time we feed them, especially when they're really young. Um, every time we feed them, they we need to get nutrient-dense food into them because they need a ton of nutrients. Little kids need two to three times more nutrients than adults. And if we think about them sitting down to a bowl of goldfish, that is space that's taken up with a food that is spiking their blood sugar, probably causing cavities and not giving them any nutrients versus sitting down with a bowl of veggies and some yogurt or some cheese or some nuts or, you know, even some beef jerky. So I, that's kind of a, the takeaway I want to leave people with as far as grains in general. Um, is there anything else? Uh, we kind of went over all the symptoms, but I, you know, I just want to make sure people aren't overwhelmed or sort of understand what we're saying here about gluten. Again, sort of recapping, what might someone be looking for? Uh, what are some symptoms in their child that they might say, let's, let's give a gluten-free or maybe even a lower grain diet a trial? Can you kind of give us a quick scenario just to make it really simple? First of all, I, I, I think it's really important for people to know that our bodies want to be healthy and they want to heal. And when you're, when you're noticing symptoms that are not normal, um, that are not what you see or what's acceptable, you know, when you have a child that's getting colds all the time or that is taking longer to get over colds or has anxiety, I mean, kids are supposed to be out running, being healthy, happy, and playing. And what we see in our, our kid population now, there's so much of a variance from that. Mm-hmm. Um, parents need to be, be willing and know that it's their job to, to kind of go out there and be a bulldog for their, for their children and, and, and not in a mean way, but that they need to stand up for their kids and look for what is causing these different things that they're seeing in their children and not just say, Oh, they're just, they're just having a bellyache because kids have belly aches and we don't really know why, you know, that's, that's really not acceptable. So noticing things that are going on with our health, paying attention and asking why I guess would be my um, bottom line. Yeah. That's a great takeaway. Cause unfortunately anymore, far too many symptoms, like you said, in our kids are just the norm today and it shouldn't be it just because things you know, too many kids or a majority of the kids are having these issues does not make it right and does not make it normal for, 
for children. Like you say, they should be running around, they should be feeling good and they should be happy and fairly calm. Um, so yeah, that having parents, you know, continue to ask questions and know that they can make some changes. They can make some changes in their child's diet fairly safely. You know, they can, um, there's lots of resources these days and removing some grains from their diet is not going to hurt their child getting rid of the crackers and the bread and the goldfish and the rice and the buns isn't going to make their child sick just because the USDA food pyramid or my plate tells them they need six to 11 servings of bread a day. Maybe they need to, you know, look at their child and do a little more digging and know that they can take the power back into their own hands with a little bit of research and a little bit of support. So I love that you said that, that don't, you know, be a bulldog and don't give up and don't let the doctor tell you that, Oh, they're just a kid and they're, just nervous or they're stressed out, right? Exactly. You know your kid better than anybody, and we have to be an advocate for our, our children and our families. And there, like you said, there's really no downside to going on a gluten-free diet and grain-free if that works better. And keeping in mind that there are people that do have celiac that aren't aware and that even if you are testing as negative for celiac, that you could still need to have a gluten-free diet. Um, and the best way to check that is by just doing it and seeing how you feel. Right. That really is kind of the gold standard, isn't it? Just eliminating the food mm -hmm. because so many of our tests are full of flaws. And um, like you said, maybe the disease isn't progressed far enough for it to find it, or maybe you never will get celiac disease, but you have certainly plenty of issues that are around sensitivity and inflammatory responses to gluten. And it certainly doesn't hurt to try a gluten-free diet and see if the symptoms um, resolve. And it takes, you know, what, two to three weeks, would you agree to remove a food to, to kind of really see some changes? Mm, I think it's longer for gluten. I think it's much longer. I think it's more like, yeah, I mean, you'll see a big change in two to three weeks for sure, but it's months before your body can heal from the effects of gluten if, right. if you have um, this kind of situation going on. Six okay. months. Good. Yeah, good to yeah. know. But but in a couple of weeks, you could definitely see that, yeah, this, something's happening. And if you find the diet difficult, it's nice to see some changes going on and within a couple of weeks. You know you're on the right track, right? Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Yep. Give it a shot. There's nothing that can, that can go wrong. You can, um, well, I shouldn't say that it, you might actually see such an improvement in your health by going gluten free that you may have to interface with your uh, healthcare provider and maybe have to, um, make some adjustments in medications and in your overall health because you're going to be transitioning into a healing mode. Absolutely. So so getting so much better, you mean that maybe you need less of whatever medication or that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Definitely. You definitely want to stay in touch with your healthcare provider. Right. Yep. Things like allergies and allergy medication and probably all sorts of things could change. Yeah. I am so glad I had this chance to talk to you, Katanya, because I really feel like, um, in fact, I was just today having a conversation with somebody about their child that had some different health concerns. And I said, just just go gluten-free. It's, it's so, you just, you should definitely give it a shot. Um, Rob Wolf always says, you know, it, it's his greasy uh, car salesman pitch of do it for 30 days and see if you notice the difference. It's simple. And, and there's nothing keeping you back. You can always go back to gluten if you feel like you have to have it. 
And if you notice the difference, then you'll stick with it. Absolutely. I think it's it's probably pretty overwhelming for people coming from a standard American diet. But like we said, you could do the baby steps and have a few of the gluten-free uh, bread substitutes and cracker substitutes in there as you sort of wean your child or you know family member off of the breads and crackers and all that. Getting a you know a full three weeks to four weeks in of gluten-free and seeing where you are can't, absolutely can't hurt and could make a world of difference. And I totally agree. Any last final tips? I do. I, I do have one thing to say that along the lines of what you said about how it can be so overwhelming to think about how to do it. Um, and I heard it, I heard somebody say this once and it's kind of been what I've done. Definitely when you get started, find some things that, are gluten-free or that are um, real food, whole food, and don't contain grains, and and just eat that. And if that means that you're having ground hamburger, ground beef or hamburgers without a bun with, you know, all the trimmings, but just no bun, and we want to put the effort into then just have that every night and think about something new for the next week. Or um, if there's just one kind of soup that you know that is gluten-free and, and just make it easy and don't try and get some fancy gluten-free gourmet menus going right off the start. You'll just find what you like and then you'll, then you'll make those small adjustments along the way. Right. So, so thinking sort of outside the box and not thinking of, well, how can I make my sandwich or my burger or my cereal gluten-free just kind of making it a switch altogether, finding recipes, like you said, that are just the, the meat and the veggies and running with that. Would you agree? Is that what, kind of what you're saying that makes it easier for you? Well, yeah, definitely. And don't feel like you have to have an assortment and a variety of recipes all, you know, that you're proficient at right off the start. You might have to just do kind of the same thing. Um, until you get the hang of it and try adding new ideas in. Yeah. Great. I love it. Well, thank you so much. This was wonderful. And I think this will be really helpful. Well, thank you so much for being here. And Laura, we will definitely do this again. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye.